from Isaiah chapter 34, verses 1 through 8. It's a very powerful passage of Scripture. When you think of apocalyptic language in the Bible, you might think, first of all, of the book of Revelation, and that would be, uh, of course, uh, the right thing to do, to consider that. But we have apocalyptic language in other portions of the Scripture. We especially find it in the prophets. And in the passage that I'm about to read to you, we have a prophecy of of a great unveiling of the wrath of God. This is... It's a very somber passage of Scripture. It's a very sobering passage of Scripture. And it will be for your good if you'll give your consideration to it. Beginning at verse 1, it says, Draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction, has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out, and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All the host of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their host shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people I have devoted to destruction. The Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen shall fall with them, and young steers with the mighty bulls. Their land shall drink its fill of blood, and their soil shall be gorged with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Let's note how the passage begins. The Lord says, draw near. So we note that this is a summons. Through the prophet, the Lord issues a directive to appear. I want you to pay close attention to that, lest you just breeze past that and think that maybe this is for someone else, because this is it's not that kind of invitation that has those little letters at the bottom, RSVP. Right? You get those? You get that kind of an invitation and you set it aside. Maybe you'll go, maybe you won't. You'll check your calendar. You have an option. But that's not what this is. This is a command so that it doesn't matter what, you've pl- what you have planned. You must, you must appear. You must um, acquiesce to this summons. This is the plan. When we think of an ordinary summons, it's a command for you to appear and perhaps give your testimony. Perhaps it's a command for you to come and give your side of the story, but we notice in this case, 
in whatever court of justice this happens to be, that you don't have to prepare ahead of time to formulate your testimony. It's not a directive for you to appear and to speak and give your opinion. You notice that this is a summons to draw near and to listen. You are to draw near and keep your mouth shut. Because the time for, for, for you speaking is over. The time for the speaking of people, it's over, it's past. They are commanded to appear and to notice the language. They are to give their attention, they are to listen, they are to hear. We notice in this summons that there's no thing and that there's no one that's exempt from the command. Do you see the universal language there? This is a universal call to all the nations. You notice that it's a summons to all of the earth. It's not a summons to just one people or to one land, but to all peoples and to all lands. And we might ask, well, who has the authority to issue this kind of summons? If you pulled out of your mailbox a jury summons and it was from, yeah, I know. You get a jury summons and it's from some county in Alaska, you would go, this is, right, this is a mistake. The county officials up in Fairbanks, they don't have any jurisdiction over me. This is a mistake. I can just throw this away. No ramifications, right? So So who has jurisdiction? This would be an overreach of any ordinary authority to issue a summons to the earth. Well, it must be a summons that only the Lord has. Only the Lord can do because only he has the legal power, the legal authority to do that. And you know why that is? This is because the Lord is the creator. This is the creator who is issuing this summons. He is the owner, the maker and owner of all. Therefore, he has the legal authority to say, draw near and to issue this summons to all peoples, to all lands, to the whole earth, to everything, notice the language, everything that fills the earth. So consider this from Psalm 24, when we think of God as creator and his authority with that. From Psalm 24, it's a Psalm of David. David says, the earth is the Lord's. And all its fullness. This kind of sounds like our passage from Isaiah here, doesn't it? He says, The world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Why is all the world the Lord's? Because he's the one who founded it. From Psalm 89. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all its fullness, you have founded them. Do you hear the language, the connection of authority and him as creator. Now listen to this from Job Job 41, verse 1. Here God is speaking to Job. Listen to the impact here that God is making upon Job. The Lord says to Job, Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook? Now Leviathan is a reference to some mighty sea creature very powerful creature. Can you draw him out with a hook or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you? That is, will Leviathan ever humble himself before you? Or can you pierce his jaw with a hook? Or will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? 
Will you play with him as with a bird, or will you leash him for your maidens? Will your companions make a banquet of him? Will they apportion him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him, remember the battle, never do it again. Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. Shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. And then God says, who then is able to stand against me? So you see how humbling this is to Job and how humbling it ought to be to us. For if there is but a creature, right, a creature who would overwhelm us, a creature that we have no power to overcome, a creature at whose sight we would be overwhelmed, we have no hope of overcoming him, any hope of overcoming a cre- this kind of creature would be false, therefore, what, what, what must we think of him who created this overwhelming creature? Who then is able to stand against me? Who is it that's issuing the summons here in the Isaiah prophecy? He is the creator. Do you have any hope of overcoming the summons? Should you entertain any hope that you can disregard the command to appear and to listen and have have any hope of overcoming and resisting this? Notice now from Isaiah the language Here, as God describes his holy rage, his holy fury, the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their host. So you notice again, it's not a summons for the nations to give their side of the story, to present their defense so the judge can take a recess and think about it and come back with a decision. No, it's a summons to hear the Lord's anger. It's to hear his fury because you note that his decision has already been made. The decree has, is already in place, and his decree is that he is, has devoted his enemies to destruction. The decision's already made with regards to his enemies. So it's inescapable and it's unstoppable. Notice now the judgment language. Pay close attention to this, the severity of it. The judgment language. The slain will be cast out. The stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. This is very powerful language of complete destruction, of complete devastation. And we note that this devastation is being brought against the nations. It's being brought against the earth. It's being brought against all that fills it. Their stench shall rise. It's the worst stench of all stenches, the stench of a dead human body. You smell it and you never forget it. This is powerful language. And the Lord is making this plain. He's putting it right in front of our noses, so to speak. The complete destruction of the world and everything that fills it. Mountains flowing with blood. Even this universal language continues. The host of heaven shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll. 
Their host shall fall like leaves from a tree. Notice the language of judgment continuing. His sword is drunk. It descends for judgment. And notice it's upon Edom. Notice the town mentioned here in verse 6 of Basra. And the land of Edom. Basra was a capital city in Edom. Edom was a land to the south of Judah. Ended up being destroyed by the Lord for their role in cooperating with the Babylonian Empire in the destruction of Judah, taking Jerusalem captive. Edom played a part in that, and they were judged for that. But of course, this prophecy is not just about Edom or a particular town in Edom because of the universal language that we're hearing here. So the complete devastation that did come upon Edom, that came upon Basra, Isaiah is saying that this will be this will serve as an illustration of what will happen to all of creation. God wiped Basra from the map. He wiped Edom from the map. It was a complete devastation. It was a complete destruction. And Isaiah says that will serve as but an illustration of a universal judgment that will descend upon all of creation. So that God says when his sword falls, his sword will be drunk with the blood of creation. It will be drunk with the blood of the earth. It will be drunk with the blood of all that fills the earth. Draw near, O nations, and pay attention to this, says the Lord. Notice the language of sacrifice. Do you see that there in verse 6? The Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, and with the fat of the kidneys of rams. And you're thinking to yourself, that sounds familiar, right? The, the kidney, the fat that lays on top of the kidneys. And you're thinking, you've heard this before, and you ha- of course you have. You, this is Levitical language. You hear this kind of description as God is giving instructions for the sacrifices that the Levites would perform in the tabernacle. And I want you to note that the Lord is not speaking of sacrifices that the Levites would make. He's not talking about what would take place in the courtyard there at the bronze altar there at the tabernacle. He's not talking about that sacrifice. But he's using the language of sacrifice. No, this is a sacrifice that the Lord makes, but it's, oh, it's not that gracious sacrifice in the tabernacle that would graciously portray the gospel. It's not that sacrifice which would so graciously portray the merciful provision of the Lord to provide a substitutionary offering on the behalf of unworthy sinners, thereby making, making it safe for them to pray to Him and to offer their worship before Him safely. It's not that sacrifice. No, this is a sacrifice that God performs, and it's a sacrifice of the wicked. This is not a substitutionary offering. This is a sacrifice of those who have opposed him in all the earth. This is a pouring forth, if you will, of the blood of all of creation. Are you getting a sense of the devastation? May we tremble as we hear this. When the Lord says, My sword will be drunk with the blood of all that I have made. But you notice at the end why the Lord does this? 
Why would the Lord do this? Notice the reason that Isaiah mentions here at the end. Verse 8, for the Lord has a day of vengeance, a day of recompense for the cause of Zion. Oh, it's for vengeance. It's for the purpose of paying back. Now, dear saints, I hope that this is of great encouragement to you. When you hear this language of God's judgment descending upon the earth, and he says it is at least for this point, it's for paying back. It's it's for payback. It's for the execution of vengeance. Dear little lambs who belong to the Lord, this is for your sake that the Lord does this. This is for the sake of all of his saints who have suffered in this life at the hands of the persecutors. This is for the sake of those even who were brought to martyrdom who died for their profession of faith in Christ. The Lord here through the prophet Isaiah is saying the day is coming. And it will be a day of payback. Now I hope that thrills your heart. And I hope that shapes your perspective It places a guard on our our own heart for are we not from time to time tempted to take vengeance on our own hands? We, We know that temptation, don't we? The Lord here is saying to His saints, wait, wait, little ones, wait. Because I will pay back. This recalls, this this kind of language is carried over into the book of Revelation, for example. From Revelation 18, listen to this language. It says, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for, for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and bodies and souls of men. All of this burned in this smoke that rises. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. It goes on to say, They threw dust on their heads and cried out weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, the great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. And then it says, Rejoice over her, O heaven. And you, holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you upon her. And the saints say, Amen, Lord, come quickly. Amen, come quickly. The book of Revelation goes on to say this. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God for true And righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has 
avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And again they say, hallelujah, her smoke rises forever and ever. So dear saints, here at the end of the, of the prophecy from Isaiah, the, it's a day of vengeance, it's a day of recompense. It's for our cause. It's for the cause of the people of the Lord. So when you hear today in the preaching, Peter will make references to this. Peter will, Peter will speak of what will happen to those who think that they can resist the Lord in all of this. Let us listen to the judgment of the Lord and let us rejoice. Let us rejoice. For God says, the day is coming when they will be paid back and they will be paid back double. I hope that's an encouragement to your heart today as we pray.